Okay, here we go. Back with another episode of the Bibliotheques podcast. And Cody and myself are recapping and discussing True Grit by Charles Portis once again. Cody, we read chapter six, if it was actually numbered. What did you think? You know, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this podcast, but I don't think the listener is going to like it very much when we pause for 30 minutes to try and shoot shit out of the air and not make any progress with our story. Very fair. This section of the book, it's it's interesting because obviously we've talked about just the way that the chapters are broken up or not really broken up before. There are a few kind of sections as I see it in this chapter and it's interesting the way that like the action is broken up into it. So we'll talk about that and maybe, I don't know, throw some theories around on like why the book is broken up in the way that it is. But for right now, I mean, I think we can just kind of get right into what we're talking about today. So do you mind, where did we leave off last week? So last week, Labeef had decided to throw in with Rooster on this manhunt of Tom Cheney or Chelmsford. And to do this, Labeef was very headstrong about not including Maddie, even though Maddie very much wanted to be a part of the manhunt. The chapter that we finished on ended with her crossing the river and following them and confronting them. And finally, the two of them, mostly Cogburn, forcing Labeef to lament and let them go. But we're picked off where the manhunt has been established, the deposit to Rooster has been paid, and both men, while not necessarily pumped about it, have accepted that Maddie's along for the ride. Right. So our first kind of chunk of this chapter starts off with this gang, this kind of like mismatched family environment that we have going on here with like the cowboy word is posse. <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? Where it's like, like we talked about last week, we have two kind of begrudging father figures or parent figures in a way yep anyway so this posse is riding along and portis makes it very clear right off the bat that maddie is just going to struggle in silence throughout this thing like she's not having a super fun time she's sore she's wet from like rain and snow not having a great time tired it's it's bad but maddie's the type of girl that's just like I'm not going to complain the whole time. She also knows that complaining usually doesn't get you anything. And in this scenario where she like forced their hand in such a monumental way that complaining on her end is a borderline death sentence for her ability to continue the trip. Yeah. With the first squeak of complaining out of Maddie and Rooster or Labeef, one or the other, maybe both are going to be like, great, we were waiting for that. Time for you to turn around and go home. Thank you very much. So Maddie's not going to give them that satisfaction. But as we're riding along, we finally get to this store that's along the bank of the Arkansas River. And again, Portis just like with weird character intros to kind of fuel like and paint more of this world for us. There's two 17-year-old boys sitting on the like steps of this porch and they're laughing at this donkey that has like a rope tied around its neck. It rained so the rope got wet and like expanded. Now it's dried and so it's constricting this donkey's neck. And these two boys are like mocking this 
suffering beast of burden. And so Rooster cuts the rope and then just kicks both of these dudes like into the mud off the porch. And so I just like I have this bold note that's just like love Rooster for this. Oh, yeah, because it's just another example of, you know, we have this grizzled old man. He's got one fucking eye. I don't know if we've brought that up. Like maybe in the initial discussion, but like I forgot about that until this section. Yeah, it's an eye patch. He's got a fucking eye patch. This guy's just loaded to the teeth, like guns and ammo, and at the same time is willing to like stop, take a tiny little detour to help this suffering donkey and just beat the shit out of a couple kids. That was really funny. Another thing that's like funny about that is earlier in the chapter. Like, that's an example of him, like, I can't really stand, like, punk kids. Yeah. And there's a bit earlier where they stop for water, and LaBeef is telling this tall tale about how water is so short in Texas. He's like, yeah, I had to drink water out of, like, a hoof puddle. Yeah. Like, like the hole that a horse's hoof made, I drank water from that. And Rooster's like, just like, no, you didn't. (laughs) <laughs> like, that's just not true and he's like yeah it is he's like i thought it was true the first 25 times i heard a texas ranger say that and he's just like giving him shit about it and you can just tell he's like he doesn't like braggarts and he doesn't like uh bullies and things like that. he's yeah. just a very much like if everyone just minded their own business the world would be so much better yeah this is a big chapter big like chunk of the book for both like group dynamic development, but also we get a lot of like deeper shit on Rooster throughout this. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, Cody, because again, we're on the road for all of like probably the rest of this book, right? And while you're doing that, Rooster and Labeef are just constantly, it's like the annoying passenger on a long road trip who just like either won't shut the fuck up. Anyway, we'll get to that. But the point is throughout this whole thing, Rooster and Labeef especially are just kind of like grinding each other's gears. Yeah, it's funny because you can tell Labeef is so used to being like a badass, flashy Texas Ranger. And Rooster is like also like a lawman, just like a totally different kind, like a like a U.S. Marshal. But he's probably just like, dude, I do not care. Like, mm-hmm. Like, stop trying to impress us. Like, I'm not impressed by you. Totally. But they're at this store, one, to get information, because it's all word of mouth shit. We just got to, like, find where people are and ask them questions and then move on from there. And so they're doing that at this store. They also need to ride this ferry to cross the Arkansas River once again. So they do that. While they were at the store... Rooster talked to the store owner named Bagby, and we learned that this guy named Lucky Ned Pepper, who is like a well-known bandit, has been seen a few days prior at this place called McAllister's store, and a robber going by the name of Hayes and a Mexican man were also riding with him. So story just being like hey bandits are out here right now that might be a pretty decent lead to find this other super shady cheney guy that you're looking for so that's the lead that we're following right now rooster thinks it's best to catch up with this gang first this posse first cody mm-hmm. 
Uh, <laughs> but they'll have another 60 miles to go to McAllister's and Maddie at this point, just like not psyched again. She's having a really rough time of this, but again, suffering in silence. So our posse stops for the night and Maddie gets like the fetching water duty. And this is again, like not a super important thing, but She's getting like full education right now about just how miserable life on the road really is. And I only bring up this moment because it really hit me here where it's like you've been riding all day. You're tired, wet, sore, all of this stuff. And just to fucking go to bed, you have to do chores. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just like, set up your camp and stuff. You can't just like, all right, this is where I'll go to bed. Right. The, the horses need to get all of their shit taken off. They need to be fed and watered. Like, there's just shit to do all the time. Like, the most boring and menial part of the journey is actually riding your horse. And even that sucks because it's tiring and you get sore. Yeah, you're, like, sitting up in, like, perfect posture with no backrest. And you're sitting, like, saddle on a saddle. And, like, basically to relieve your sore ass, you have to then stand up and use your legs, which you've also been using the whole time. It just sounds crazy miserable. And you can't even sleep in because the second the sun comes up, that's when people can find your camp and kill you. So you have to leave at dawn every day. Right, right. And then I just (laughs) I think it's funny because there are moments where it seems like Portis kind of indulges himself in the whole Western theater kind of thing. Mm. And other times where he intentionally is like, no, we're not doing that. That's bullshit. And this is one of those moments where we're about to go to sleep and we're sitting around the fire and Maddie's like, yo guys, let's tell ghost stories. And I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, Western we're sitting around the campfire. This is fucking sick. Rooster's like, nah, we're not we're not gonna do that yeah she's like one of you like i'll be the ghost and then or so one of you's gonna be the ghost you'll do what i say and then i'll be all the other characters and they both just go no yeah (laughs) and like and then we just didn't say anything for a while and went to bed yeah but he does indulge himself on the western stuff like a little bit earlier you said the main outlaw's name is lucky ned pepper yeah right (laughs) like okay that's that's a cowboy ass name. That is some that is some Western bullshit. But it's 100%. fun and it brings you in. You're like, oh, fuck, yeah. Some guy named Lucky Ned Pepper. That's a great like outlaw bandit gang guy name. That's perfect. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And like more of this kind of this isn't as much like indulgence, but the descriptions around like rooster having this super nice like buffalo bottom sheet that he sleeps on and he like just more examples of how this guy is just ready to rock Mm -hmm. on the road and then i thought it was funny i didn't know this before but the whole thing of like coiling a rope next to where you sleep at night to keep snakes away like they talk about that a little bit in depth i hadn't i had no idea that they did that i think it's a superstition because the beef's like that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. But he also doesn't think it's like that much of superstition because it's like there's no snakes. It's winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that that kind of like brings us to the end of kind of what I saw is like the first section is like a good meaty chunk of day on the road. Right. Yeah. So it picks back up when they um, so they're not quite at McAllister yet, but they know of this abandoned house, which is 
seemed weird to me that there's just like basically a cabin in the woods that is not big, but has a working fireplace and like chairs and a table that you can just kind of people just go in and out of like an abandoned structure that this guy knows of. You could basically set up camp for the night. It's not outside. It's not necessarily like close, but it's a great waypoint. And, you know, we're just going to check it out. So they get there. And when they show up, they can see that there's a light on um, and there's smoke coming from the chimney. So there's at least one person in there. They have um, they I mean, Rooster has the beef and Maddie kind of stay back and he'll go up alone to kind of call out so that they can hide their numbers in case it gets dicey calls out and is like, Hey, anyone in there? We want to come in. And they hear a voice. That's like, there's no room. Fuck off. And then I like, turn the <laughs> light off and like whatever. And he's like, all right, well, that's just not going to work. Huh? So he has a beef. He takes off his big, uh, like, uh, jacket has la beef so okay this is where i need to back up and talk about the structure mm-hmm. of it because it's yeah. actually kind of important so it's not just like a cabin in the middle of the woods surrounded by trees they get to kind of like a hilly area and half of this cabin is like built inside of a cave yeah so three quarters of it is sticking out where there's like doors and walls and a roof and stuff but there's kind of on either side a slanted hill going up where you can kind of walk up this hill, take a right or a left, depending on what side you're on, and then be on the roof. Right. Like it's built into the side of a hill and there's a cave next to it, which they keep things. We'll talk about that later. So Labeef is able to walk up this hill and walk on the roof without making too much noise. And he covers the chimney with the big, like, like, I don't know, I think it's probably like a leather, like heavy canvas yeah, jacket. Yeah, you'd have like, to assume it's like buffalo hide yeah, or something. Yeah, like something, something crazy thick. And just to literally smoke the guys out. And so they do, and one guy heads off, and Rooster shoots at him and strikes one. There's like guns going back and forth until they like say, say stop shooting. And Rooster lies to him and said, I have six marshals with me. Like, who's in there? Come on out. Like, we got you surrounded. Obviously, he doesn't. Uh, we find out that it is two men, one named Moon and one named Quincy. Moon is the one who's been shot. He's like a younger, rotund guy who Maddie isn't really impressed with physically at all. This other guy, Quincy, is kind of described with like rat-like features. Mm-hmm. He just looks like like an unfortunate person. Yeah, uh, the unfortunate like, oh, you must be a criminal kind of look to his face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got like bandit face. Yes, <laughs> a bad case of bandit face. Very bad. So Rooster is convinced they know where Ned Pepper is. They claim they don't, but, you know, Rooster's like, that's bullshit. Anyway, we're coming inside and he kind of handcuffs them um, and they're just kind of setting up shit camp and as they're all in there together, Moon is freaking out because he's shot in the leg and he doesn't want to get like gangrenous and he doesn't want to get amputated because, again, we're in the peak era of bad doctor. And if he doesn't get the leg out soon, a bigger, less fun surgery is going to have to happen. And <laughs> less Qu- fun. Quincy is like chopping up a turkey, which uh, Beef killed earlier in the in the chapter and for their dinner. He's making him do that because in the pot over the fire is this kind of like hominy dish called is it scofty? Mm-hmm. It's a Native American dish that you can cook in large quantities. And he's like, hey, that's a lot of food. Yeah. For just two guys. Like it's a whole big pot of it. And mm-hmm. they're like, it's also our breakfast. And he's like, I don't believe you. Where's Ned Pepper? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Wait, where is he also explain all of the fucking horses that are outside? Yeah, Labeef went and checked out the cave next door. There's six horses in there. Yeah. Like what are we like what's the what's the play, guys? Like two like two guys need six horses and they're like, oh, we bought those horses. Like, okay, where's the receipt? Don't have it. Oh, how fucking convenient, guys. And mm-hmm. as Rooster is just like peppering them with questions, Moon is getting more and more anxious because you know they're doing the Rooster is both good cop and bad cop. He's bad cop with Quincy. He's like, Quincy, you fucking asshole. Where's Ned Pepper? And Quincy's mm-hmm. like, I'm not telling you nothing. He's like, <laughs> and then he goes a nice cop to Moon. He's like, hey, Moon, listen, I'm your buddy. You tell me what's going on. I put you on one of those horses, send you back to town, and you'll be able to get that stitched up. Like, you can tell the doctor that I sent you, and you can put it on my tab. I'll get it taken care of. And Quincy's like, don't you say anything. Don't you say that shit. Meanwhile, Maddie's being super annoying. Yeah, I love and this. And it's like, you're chopping the turkey wrong. <laughs> <laughs> They're just going back and forth at each other. I, I, I'm trying to find the the actual exchange between Maddie and this guy. It, it's not super important. So I'm going to give up trying to find it. But basically, it's just like, hey, dude what gives and the guys just kind of like hey fuck you you're ugly <laughs> again maddie getting like strays yeah totally but eventually the pain is too much for moon and he kind of breaks and he tells yes we're working with ned pepper those horses are for him he should be coming back sometime but we don't know when quincy reacts to this in a super normal way by chopping <laughs> off quincy's finger or dropping off moon's fingers with one strike of his big buck knife uh, that he's been using to chop the turkey with as he does that and as he like kind of raises the knife back up to go down on moon someone i'm pretty sure it's rooster right shoots quincy in the neck yeah and this is just one of those super quick very like grotesque details from the thing because this all happened while they were all three of them like the two lawmen were in the front of the cabin and maddie was at the table with the other two and so they were close enough to them that when quincy gets shot in the neck there's a description of like warm blood spraying on maddie's face and she's just like immediately traumatized by this and falls backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really goes from zero to 100 fast. And there's mention of this later, like after something else happens. But Maddie will like mention in in the way she's narrating, like all of this lasted shorter than it takes for me to describe it happening. So it's just a really cool way that Portis is like playing with pace here where you have kind of like a meandering conversation that doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. And then like in a blink of an eye, action, blood everywhere, totally different scenario. It's really it's really cool. Yeah. So first, the two guys check on, uh, uh, um, not two guys, Labeef and Rooster check on Maddie because she fell over and blood got sprayed on her. And they didn't know, like, oh, did you get hit? Like, what's going on? She's okay. She's shaken, but no injuries they look over at quincy shot in the neck with a rifle done yeah (laughs) but then moon is on his back he's got freaking stumpy hand and the knife is in his chest so quincy got one big one on him before they went and it's actually pretty sad because he's like panicking because he's gonna die and he tells them to like mail like find his brother and tell him like what happened to him and stuff so he doesn't wonder what happened and then just asking that he be buried and stuff just really Mm. sad last final moments checklist yeah and throughout all of this it's just kind of like yeah 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 your brother sure all of that's fine but like tell us what we need to fucking know about this 
lucky Ned Pepper guy. Yeah, I'll 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 send your body wherever you want if you tell me where Ned Pepper is. Right, goddamn now. Right, right. Yeah. Before we move on, I also just wanted to throw in there. I thought it was another interesting co-parenting moment when Maddie does get like sprayed on the face with blood and like falls backwards because Labeef and Rooster both kind of like spring to make sure she's okay. Yeah. First. Exactly. And I was just like, hmm, hmm, little Maddie growing on our boys here. I think so. <laughs> Definitely think so. Um, But they realize, okay, so we didn't get a ton of information on them. We know that they were working for them. We know those horses that are in there, those fresh horses in the cave, those are for them. We can anticipate that we're going to run into Ned Pepper and perhaps lead to a clue to our guy Cheney if we stay here probably in the next like few hours. So they take the bodies outside and hide them. They straighten up the place, sweep the front of their tracks and just kind of lay a little ambush for them. So they leave um, their own horses out of sight. They don't touch the barn horses. And Rooster's basically like, all right, stay with the horses. Make sure that they don't get squirrely while we do our stakeout. And she's like, no, I want to like come and see what you guys are doing. And it, there's like an interesting line too where it's like, Didn't you, don't you think you had like enough death for tonight? Yeah. Like a man got absolutely clocked feet from you. Like his blood sprayed on you. Like, you sure you want this? And she's like, yes, I want it. Yeah. And this next part isn't going to de-escalate. No, it's like, if anything, <laughs> you're going to see more people die, potentially one of us. Like, that's just kind of how this goes. And she's like, no, I want to go. And he's like, fine come with me then like as they're leaving she goes wait i forgot my gun he's like nope <laughs> no 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 no. like like which is like both of a thing like he's probably just like annoyed that she's like wait can i just stop me like no no but also he's like i'm not gonna let you have a gun because then you're gonna think you want to get involved in this is kind of how i read that too like yeah. you can watch just shut the fuck up and stay out of our way while we like actually do what we do rooster is doing his version of like parent negotiation where it's like you first of all you're not even supposed to be here i gave that fucking boatman very direct orders to bring you back to town yeah because he's a moron i'm stuck with you but now you're here and now you want to get involved in a gunfight so please go stand by the horses no okay fine i will meet you at like a 90 10 split where I get 10% of what I want yeah. and you get 90% of you want. You can be here, but you can't bring your gun. No, that's no. the rule that that's the very like, yeah, like you said, like this 90 10, I am losing. I'm still <laughs> losing big time by putting yeah. you in this situation regardless. So they find a on top on top of the hill kind of overlooking the front of the cabin and just kind of the clearing from the woods that you can see. They set up a little stakeout. Um, we do get a little bit of cool backstory of Rooster's time in the war and also just kind of Rooster stuff in general. So Rooster did serve in the Confederate army. He didn't know Maddie's dad, but he was a cavalry man. And he just kind of references that his unit played it a little fast and loose with what they were supposed to do. That'll come up later. Then he also talks about how after the war, he did like a ton of odd jobs all over the country. He went up to Illinois and met a woman and bought a bar yeah and settled down <laughs> which by the way is there anything more rooster than like fuck no, escaping dude. to illinois and buying a bar but then when he's like a bad husband she like leaves and takes their kid with them like oh so plot twist he has a son somewhere yeah and you know he's like yeah and then she left and then it turns out i'm fucking shit at running a bar i don't know how to order meat 
that's my big Achilles heel. <laughs> right. Pretty the, important. Yeah. The produce and meat, not me. Yeah. <laughs> then he does like a ton of other stuff, including like, you know, hunting buffalo and wolves. And he even referenced, like, that's where we presume, that's where he presumably got his buffalo hide like blanket. But he even like referenced, like, this is the late 1800s. So he's like, re- like, laments how the buffalo's like borderline extinct, mm-hmm. which is, I thought was really interesting. And then, what how he became the US marshal he is now is so he was like robbing banks and then while he escaped once he got hired as like a cattle driver and they were driving cattle from Texas to Canada and he's going and one of the people he worked for just pissed him off so he just shot him in the head and he didn't kill him the bullet like grazed the top of his head and like cut his skin like didn't like non life threatening at all but, you know, you can't shoot your boss in the head and get away with it. <laughs> what? It just grazed your head. It's fine. So anyway, there's no cops around like the middle of the like Western territories. And so they bring him to this army base where they run into a guy, a U.S. Marshal Potter. And we learned earlier that Potter and him were in the Confederate army together. Mm-hmm. They knew each other very well. So Potter was like, don't worry guys, I'll take him into custody. And they're like, okay, where do we go to testify against him? And he's like, you don't, that's the cool thing. Your word is good enough. We'll put him away. Yeah. I found all of these witness things to just be too time consuming. Like this is a much better process. Just give them to me and I'll make sure everything's dealt with. Yeah. We'll, we'll put him away in the slammer and they're like, cool. Thanks, man. He's like, great. Then he looks at him and he goes, well, it looks like you're under my thumb for the foreseeable future. Like, how yeah. you want to be a U.S. Marshal? Like, I'll write a letter to someone in D.C. and we'll make it happen. He's like, yeah, I'll be a deputy. Mm-hmm. Bim, bam, boom. That's what he is. And then she's like, well, do you like being a deputy? He's like, yeah, being a marshal's deputy is fucking tight. <laughs> like, of all the odd jobs I've had, this one is probably the best. Yeah, so clearly, and th- like, this whole story is basically just a back and forth of Rooster living shady and sometimes illegally like one of the things he says is that technically he's still running on parole yeah because when he and some of his confederate like soldiers that were with him at the end of the war they turned themselves in and so they were taken into custody but then escaped that custody and like bounced on parole and so he's been technically like running ever since then Although I'm sure like record keeping at the time isn't like that crazy, but yeah. And you know, it, it's funny because he's like, it was only a one day parole, right? They just wanted to like keep all the surrendered Confederate soldiers in town long enough so that they could be like, like you said, accounted for. Yeah. But then when they jumped that bail, they just like, there's just no record of it. Right. And so they were like, he's like, well, I'm technically on parole. You know, they don't have my name in a book anywhere long enough to actually keep it. So like, you know, he's technically like a federal POW fugitive. But, mm-hmm. you know, the war's over. We're in reconstruction. The Union Army isn't like going around looking for like random cowboys. No. Oh, did you surrender the right way? Right. In 1865? No. No, I just think I think it's just a funny or a more like in-depth look at kind of Rooster as a character as a whole. It's like making his adult life, like the story of his adulthood basically starting with running from the law yeah and now he's a u.s marshal 
But then also just to add on to more of this kind of interesting parent dynamic, Rooster reflecting to himself on how he may have been kind of too hard on his son mm-hmm. at the time. Like that's just kind of like a throwaway line. Yeah. But it's something that it's just interesting. It adds a little color to this already very colorful character. And it also is interesting to me, just the idea that you didn't like, he didn't have to jump his parole from the union army, right? He, they, they weren't going to do anything. They, they, they were obviously not under lock and key. Cause they just left in the night mm-hmm. is like, what kind of guy just like puts himself at risk like that? You know what I mean? So right. unnecessarily. Rooster does just the definition of a loose cannon. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> rolling down. And Maddie does make a funny note, which he's like We're about because she's like, she's like, well, you like jumped bail as a Confederate fugitive, and now you work for the Yankees. How's that feel? And he's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, and Maddie's like, Maddie has other hilarious commentary throughout this because Rooster's like, I've only ever stolen from banks. Like, That's I've true. only ever stolen from from. Uh, like thieves themselves, which is carrying institutions, which is what banks are. And Maddie's like, ah, you are still a thief. He's like, nah, tomato, tomato. (laughs) Yeah. That is purely semantics. Little girl. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I love that because it's a really good chunk of just rooster and Maddie just talking just the two of them. Cause LaBeef is over on one of the other Hills right now, kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. One more thing before we move on from this one story that he does tell is that when he was robbing a bank in Arizona, he was escaping and there was a six man posse that was chasing him super hard. And he could tell that like, like, you know, you can only drive your horse like crazy for so long before the thing just dies or it's just not able to do it. and You get overtaken. So he turned around and pulled both of his pistols out and just blindly chase charged them just firing left and right. And it was enough to scare all six of them off. And she's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty cool though. Right. (laughs) It worked. So it's not stupid. (laughs) Yeah. But so that kind of, that takes us through to the end of kind of like what I thought of the second section of this, the third section starts with finally six men arriving at this kind of dugout shelter. And it's close to dawn now where like Maddie LaBeef, Rooster, they've been up all night waiting for these guys. And the six men, when they show up at the dugout, they're clearly very suspicious of the situation just to just to start out because they're doing the whole thing where like one of them is doing like a turkey call, expecting like an answer from inside. And and there's just no communication. Obviously, nobody's in the dugout anymore. But what happens is. Ned Pepper, who has been identified at this point by Rooster, shoots his gun in the air as like a signal shot. Earlier, there was instructions to LeBeef, don't start shooting until like you've been shot at. Like until shooting starts, like don't be the instigator of this. Right. Well, Ned shoots his gun and LeBeef returns fire, killing Ned's horse. And they manage to kill two more in this band, but the rest get it, get away, including Ned, who, by the way, one of his posse comes back to like get him because Ned's horse is dead. 
Ned pulls the other guy off the horse, takes his horse, and just runs off. So classic bad guy bandit shit where it's like no loyalty among thieves. Um, From here, we're just squabbling over kind of what to do next because we have four dead guys now, the two from this recent posse and then the two that were killed in the dugout before. And we settle on getting all of the bodies onto these horses and let's transport the dead guys and the six horses we found to this, um, like this little town, the settlement area, see what we can get in terms of bounty for them. Cause like a lot of them are wanted men to some degree or another. Le beef has been hit. So a bullet has hit the butt of his gun and basically splintered the the butt of his rifle, sending like shards of lead and wood into his arm. And so he needs to get that treated. Maddie like does a little patch job on it initially, but we set off leading these horses and the dead bodies. Yeah, there's another little interesting thing too, where you said earlier where, you know, parent moment between uh, Labeef and Rooster when they rush to help Maddie after the, the uh, shooting in the house. This is a little bit of a other end of that coin because Maddie like sees that um, Labeef is struggling to use his handkerchief to tie a tourniquet around his arm and just goes, let me do that for you. And Rooster's like, no, you need to help me do this. And she's like, no, I need to help Labeef first. And Labeef, instead of being like, no, I got it. He just like lifts his arm up and lets her do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes right on the heels of Labeef and Rooster kind of jawing at each other because Right once all of the gunfire stops and the bandits run away, everybody meets down kind of in front of this dugout and Rooster's fucking pissed at Labeef. Like, I told you not to start shooting until somebody shot at you. Like, you must have fallen asleep and just heard the gunshots. And so you just reacted and shot back. And then just this calming moment of Maddie being like, all right, let me take care of your arm first. And let's move on from here. Totally. So they string all these horses together and put the bodies on them. Uh, and they're going to bring them to McAllister for ID, like Paul said. Along the way, uh, Labeef is just like in a mood to piss off Rooster. And like he pulls out like this harp, jaw harp and starts playing it. And just like a boing, doing, doing, doing sound. So it's a really annoying instrument. It's terrible. And he's like, he's like, like Labeef, stop. And instead, he's like, what song do you guys want to hear? <laughs> I'm just imagining Labeef. Like, there's just some people that when they're uncomfortable or annoyed, the only outlet for that is just to make everyone else's life miserable. So Labeef is like dealing with a shot arm and he's, they're, they've got like no sleep and on the road forever. And he's just made it his mission to just infuriate rooster right and not only that he then gets pretty personal by like questioning like what he did in the confederate army labeef mentions that he was too young to join the army towards the end of the war like managed to like lie his way into enlistment when he was 15 but by then it was like only a couple months left he didn't see any action he worked in like an administrative role in the quartermaster shop but we hear from his stories that that rooster's unit did some pretty shady shit doing raids in civilian territories and towns in Kansas. And Rooster's like, that's all lies. Like, that's not what we did when we were in Kansas. He's like, but you were that unit in Kansas, right? 
Mm-hmm. Like, like, so you, they don't like give me shit for not being able to serve somewhere where there's actually soldiers when you like fought civilians and stuff. Like you fought soldiers and civilians, man. Like you're not perfect either. And this is something that's all noticed by Maddie too, because you know, in her head, her dad was like the ideal Confederate soldier fought honorably, almost died on his way home because he was injured. And this is her first time hearing like, maybe there wasn't some good shit going on in the Confederate army. Like maybe you should learn that. Yeah. Right. But again, Maddie with the interjection to kind of cool things down where she has this theory to propose that like, hey, maybe Ned Pepper and his posse were going to kill Quincy and Moon once they got there because there were six of them and six horses. But you add Quincy and Moon on there and the math just doesn't add up what was going on. Rooster's just kind of like, all right. That's not what happened. Ned wouldn't have just killed them for no reason. But again, just another example of Maddie kind of cooling things down between Rooster and LaBeef. Yeah, a good subject change. But that's I'm glad you said that because that adds a little detail that we didn't mention, which is that when Maddie kind of like kind of jolts herself awake when the six uh, man Ned Pepper posse arrives, that's when she realizes like we have two guys with guns and they have six. And this is the first kind of moment where she's like, maybe I shouldn't be here, you know? Yeah. She has that actual thing of like, God, this is stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which, I mean, credit to her for getting that far and just now, like, actually thinking that seriously. She crossed a fucking river on a pony and was never, like, stirred from this. But, yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? Something about mortal peril, you know? Yeah, really makes you want to go home. It'd be like if like you and like you had two friends and they're like, we're going to start a fight tonight. And you're like, all right. <laughs> OK. And then there's and then they just see a group of like six guys at the bar. We're going to fight them. And you're like, why? <laughs> like, are, that's not what I thought was going to happen. They're like, this is exactly what was always going to happen. You're like, this is a mistake. I should not have gone out tonight. <laughs> you're right. Exactly. But from there, um. So the gang or the our posse gets to J.J. Uh, McAllister's store, which isn't just like a store in the middle of anywhere. It's like more of a settlement with things going on, like a trading post almost. Uh, Labeef goes off to get his bullet wound treated and Maddie joins Rooster to go talk to the Native American police chief named Boots, which again, like... Of course it is, you know, (laughs) it's one of these Western names. Yeah, Chief Boots. Chief Boots. So after they kind of discuss what went down at the dugout with Quincy and Moon and the rest of the shootout, they tell Chief Boots about what they know about like this robbery that went down, um, which basically, so Ned Pepper and his posse I think did a train robbery. Yeah, they robbed a train. Where it's not clear exactly how much they actually stole. They ended up killing two people on the train and stealing any, anywhere from seventeen thousand to seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, the chief is like, I think it's closer to seventeen. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's it's a ton of money for the time anyway. Yeah, and and from here they're like, all right, so let's just you know, cut to brass tacks here. How are we going to split up the bounties on these guys and the sale of all of their belongings, horses, this, that, and the other thing. 
and Maddie interjects here and is like, hey, remember when Moon was dying and you were like, yeah, we'll send back all of your shit and your body to your brother in Texas. And Rooster's kind of like, I was never going to do that. Besides, I don't remember where to send the stuff to. And Maddie's like, I know where it was. It's fucking Austin, Texas. I've got like basically the address right here for you. And Rooster's like, was it Austin or was it Dallas? Maddie's like, it was fucking Austin, dude. And it's just a funny moment of Rooster trying to like seed some doubt there to get out of doing this very nice job for this criminal. One more thing that we forgot to mention is that of the two men in the six man posse that were killed, one of them had a stamped California gold piece, which is a clue that Cheney has at least mixed with them because they're pretty rare. And especially because they're not like gold coins that you would have. It's, It's a stamped gold piece. So it's rectangular. Yes. So not only do they go and they talk to the chief about the sale, but we're getting, like Paul said, a lot of corroborating info about who is with them. They identify all these guys like the chief's like, yeah, I know these freaking bozos like this guy's this guy. This guy's this guy. Like You ever see a man, maybe Cheney or Chelmsford, black powder mark in his cheek. And he's like, doesn't ring a bell. But, you know, Ned Pepper's always got guys coming in and out. So if you're hot on his trail, keep on the trail basically like if he's an outlaw in this area it's he's probably with him so they meet up with a uh police captain from fort smith that's traveled all the way to McAllister to meet with rooster because he's got some crazy news wharton the man from the trial has escaped jail and this the way he escaped jail is hilarious So the people that broke him out were posing as sawdust vendors and they had barrels of sawdust. So what they did is they brought in these barrels to the jail that they're, I assume they would use for like the floor or whatever. The spittoons. Yeah. So then while they were doing that, they somehow got him into the barrel. And then when they were leaving with their barrels, they just walked right out the door with them. Broad daylight. Mm-hmm. no like killing no nothing so he's escaped and you know the captain's like yeah sorry rooster but like you gotta go get him again and rooster's kind of like laughing at this and maddie's like what the fuck are you laughing at the guy that like you just like went through all that shit on his like parents property or whatever to get why are you okay with him leaving he's like i'm okay because his lawyer is in dc right now trying to get him a pardon from the president Mm -hmm. like the amount of money that idiots wasted Mm -hmm. by just trying to get this guy all this guy had to do was just hang out and see if there's going to be a pardon and then do the jailbreak but he did the jailbreak while his attorney is in dc so you know he's going to get a telegram about it right he's like so now he's never getting a pardon, and we'll catch him again because he's a moron and then he'll definitely hang yeah 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 it's great I love it. You know, one other thing I I wanted to just throw in there right before this happens, Rooster once again is like trying to scheme to get Maddie out of his hair. And one of those things is like they eat with the McAllisters at some point and Mrs. McAllister offers Maddie a bed to like nap in. And Maddie notices like Rooster 
having like this conversation with Mrs. McAllister beforehand. She's like, I'm not fucking going to bed. You're just going to leave me here. (laughs) And so she declines the bed. And then later Rooster's like, all right, here's the deal. I know where this Ned Pepper guy is going to be. Like he's got a bandit hideout a la every Western movie ever that like, I know where it is. I'm going to go get him there. This is going to get way too dangerous. You're not coming. Like this is where your road actually ends. And interestingly, the beef comes to Maddie's defense being like, I think she's kind of earned her spurs at this point. Rooster Rooster's like, all right, I'm overruled here. Don't ever say earned her spurs again. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, get some Texas bullshit and I want it out of your mouth. All right. <laughs> but it it is really funny because, you know, whether it was saying the tourniquet or whether it's her constantly kind of cooling heads left and right that, you know, the beef is kind of like, you know, it is an extra set of hands. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, it's not like she's going to be like useful in a gunfight or anything like not even Maddie's expecting that of herself, but someone to kind of like break the ice Mm-hmm. help set up camp right um who doesn't eat a lot doesn't carry a lot mm-hmm. um like there's no like other than the fact that it's a little girl and that's implicitly dangerous on a manhunt like i don't know she's got a guy shot in front of her and didn't fuck up when there was a bunch of shooting going on and also she bandaged my arm when you were being a dick and wouldn't help <laughs> like that's good at at the worst maddie's hanging in there yeah, you know, yeah you know? like, <laughs> she's seen four men die in front of her face and she's just kind of like there still so you got to give her that yeah i'm at, at the very worst she's hanging out at best she's helpful she's actively helpful yes and at worst you know she hasn't been a cataclysmic fuck up or slowed us down right right yeah and you know maddie is proud of not slowing them down talking about how like Obviously, Brewster's stallion is just like a big badass horse. And but, you know, the beef's on a pony just like she is. And he's like and she's like, little Blackie's dope as shit. Mm. He's keeping up with this guy's horse who's like a horse that's good enough to be a Texas Rangers horse. So, you know. Yeah. But I mean, if we are talking about things that are going to slow us down, we're getting to that point right now. Right now. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) we're on the road again. And so it's it's when this cop comes up on them because like we've left McAllister's store and we're on the road. This cop run runs up to give us the news about the Wharton guy. And this cop is also talking to LaBeef about how like, hey, dude, you shot Ned Pepper's horse. You missed the guy. And Labeef, of course, gets defensive about this. <laughs> yeah. Rooster adds in and is like... I shot from a seated position to a standing position. It was reactive. Yeah. Rooster chimes in like, yeah, you fucking suck, dude. Like, I don't <laughs> even know what you were doing. And so then what emerges is this pissing contest where everybody's just throwing, like, insults at each other about how good of a shot they are until... We're pulling food out of our fucking packs, throwing it in the air as clay pigeons and shooting at it to prove ourselves men (laughs) to each other. Well, it starts with like LaBeef doing the final straw, which is like, I'm shocked you can shoot anything because you only have one eye rooster. Rooster's like, you want to fucking go? Pulls out like the little bit of whiskey he has left in a glass bottle, houses it, (laughs) throws it in the air. 
shoots at it twice, misses both. It falls to the ground. And then, <laughs> and then they shoot it on the ground. Yeah, it's on the ground. He's like, ba-ba. And then it breaks. He's like, see. <laughs> <laughs> but this goes on for a while. And then he's like, they're doing the corn poppers. And then at one point, the cat the captain from Fort Smith gets in on. He's like, no, let me try with my rifle. And Maddie's like, yeah, they just wasted bullets for 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like guys being dudes hanging out and she's like can we go so the rest of this chapter after we finally make our way onward from this shooting contest the rest of it is mostly rooster struggling with his alcoholism and so yes rooster has plenty of whiskey on hand and is just slamming the shit and we've gotten to a point in the terrain where like things are a little bit more rocky. We're going uphill kind of like up a mountain almost. And rooster has fallen off his horse. He's talking to himself and there's this awesome rambling paragraph of rooster just like stream of consciousness, drunk speak where he's going into everything from like his own history in the military to what it's like working for women to like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just stream of consciousness, all one thick paragraph. Yeah. It's so funny. It reminded me so much of when we were reading dog of the South and the doctor would just, you know, brain blast dude, just like talking nonstop. It, Cause it's a, this is legit. If you're, Depending on what version you are, this might change, but it's legitimately a page of text. No paragraph break at all. Yeah, it's it's a page. I'm looking at it right now. It's a page and a half just straight through of uninterrupted dialogue, monologue, really, just from Rooster. And it's all like none of it makes sense together. One sentence just leads into the next classic drunk speak from our guy. So... One thing that's fun is I think that um, Portis does shit like this to really hammer home how annoying it is because the reader doesn't get a break from it. And LaBeef and Maddie don't get a break from it either. And he even mentions that like Maddie is like, I want to interject and tell him he's being a dumbass, but that would just be inviting more talking. Right. So our chapter today ends with the our posse getting just a few miles away from this Ned Pepper bandit stronghold uh, and us finding kind of a flat place to camp out and then go to sleep for the night. And so that's where we'll end today. We only have one chapter left of this book, and it's just another one of these big, like, you know, 50 to 70 page chunks and so, Cody, that's what I wanted to ask you. Finishing this chapter and the last one from last week, why are they broken up this way? Like, if you had a theory, like, what would it be? My theory is the extension of chapter and how, like, the kind of what would be a normal break is bleeding into its into each other. I think it's because we're trying to see or we're trying to match Maddie's either comfort level or how she's perceiving her days because she's getting less and less sleep as well. And in, earlier in the book, you know, sometimes there would be like days starting and ending in a chapter. But a lot of times it's 
woke up, went to bed. That's a day. And that's a chapter. Mm -hmm. And in this last time, in the last large chunk chapter that we did last week, you know, it was a shorter one, but she doesn't get a lot of sleep and she gets up early and she like works super hard to stay with these guys as opposed to I had a solid good night's sleep and then I woke up. Yeah. And then yeah. this time, you know, they didn't sleep at all when they got to um, the ho- or the cabin. She was kind of dozing in and out. No good sleep. She refused a bed here and she's sleeping on the ground. It's getting more and more uncomfortable. She every time she has to go to bed, she has to, like brush snow off to expose damp leaves or sticks, which she's like, yeah, that's what I want to sleep on tonight. Right. So I think it's supposed to kind of follow her perception of time as things get harder there's less decisive breaks between the action right right and i think that's i that's what i would have said too is just the first halfish or the the introductory four chapters that we read our first episode for this book is more or less your home sweet home still and everything after that it's like you're in the wild and the chapter structure reflects that. So yeah, I, I I totally agree. Did you have a deep dive that you wanted to do this week? You know, this was such a plot heavy section that there really wasn't an opportunity for Maddie. This might also be intentional where this section Maddie's not necessarily inward thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, the most interesting stuff I thought was just more or less choosing when to reveal things about Rooster like, obviously, he mentions things that he does, doesn't go too deep into them. We get more information of it from Labeef, but in a negative connotation. We still don't know the full story or anything, but just listening to um, Rooster be more and more comfortable around Maddie yeah. is just something that I've noticed as well. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you because I was trying to think about what what I wanted to do for this week. and. Like you said, I was I was having a little bit of a hard time because there's no juicy chunk that you can really pull out until well, I'm sure there is. What I picked for mine this week, it really just has to do. First of all, it's the last paragraph of our section today, mm. but it also has to do with basically like how much the wilderness and environment that you're in in a story like this matters and if you're writing this story imagery is a huge tool in your toolbox right Mm -hmm. and so this last section it starts we made no fire i took a hasty supper of bacon and biscuit sandwiches the biscuits were pretty hard there was a layer of pine straw under the patchy snow and I raked up a thick pile with my hands for a woodland mattress. The straw was dirty and brittle and somewhat damp, but at that, it made for a better bed than any I had seen on this journey. I rolled up in my blankets and slicker and burrowed down into the straw. It was a clear winter night, and I made out the Big Dipper and the North Star through the pine branches. The moon was already down. My back hurt and my feet were swollen, and I was so exhausted that my hands quivered. The quivering pass, and I was soon in the land of Nod. And so this last this last paragraph, I just wanted to ask from an imagery standpoint, what are you thinking? Like how what kind of environment are you thinking of when you read that last paragraph? Well, 
I compare it to the rest of the chapter, which was pretty action packed. Like mm-hmm. this is the most still Maddie's gotten to be in a long time. And that's just kind of reflected in like moonless night. It's cold, but not enough to prevent her from sleeping. And she's got the comfiest outdoor <laughs> woodland mattress mm-hmm. that she's had yet. So this is just kind of her like she didn't take the easy way out and take a nap at McAllister's. She's like been fighting and staying awake for so long that the chapter ends with her just like finally allowing herself to like collapse into her own exhaustion. Mm -hmm. So from an image standpoint, it just like really felt like anyone can recognize it when like for some reason you have to stay up late. Maybe it's like a flight or maybe you were like studying or something or you had a job and you were just up all night and then you had to do things all the next day. And you couldn't take a break. And then when you finally do go to bed after that, like the when you're so tired, your hands are shaking. Mm-hmm. And then just finally be like, you just go to bed. Yeah. So one thing that I've I've just kept saying when we do these deep dives is like, this doesn't need to be there, mm-hmm. but it is, right? And so one way you could in this chapter is just saying, Maddie went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's it, right? But Portis felt it necessary to end this really arduous section of journey with something that to me feels really pleasing. And I think he does that by in an odd way, taking things like pine needles and stuff that's like pokey and jabby and doesn't sound super comfortable. You're out in the cold, but making it feel really pleasant in a way that we see all the time in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Where our characters have been journeying and journeying and journeying. And finally, for whatever reason, the most delightful place to sleep that I can think of at the time is exactly what Tolkien or Portis is describing as like a grassy little like hollow under a hill it it reminded me of the sagebrush from two towers right exactly and so i just i i find that that last paragraph to me was just so rewarding because like there's so many like adjectives and just metaphors for describing a woodland mattress and just it felt like a reward to me for getting through this big section And it's ironically, it's a very safe moment for Maddie because this is when she just gets to finally like put her head down and go to bed. But they're 50 miles from McAllister and only four miles from Ned Pepper. Like this is other than the the shootout at the cabin. This is like about as close as you can get to danger. Right. Real danger. But you don't feel that that's not in her mind right now. It's just the exhaustion. All right. Tootin for the week. Uh, my tootin' for the week would probably be, you know, dudes in the Confederacy being like, I'm honorable. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. (laughs) Hard to get away from that one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the Confederacy in general and. Uh, Yeah. A standing tootin'. Yeah. A standing tootin'. (laughs) Quote honorable <laughs> confederate soldiers yes i um i'm i'm with you there my my tootin for the week was just and and again like this is kind of cheating but just the way that portis describes maddie being tired like i feel that through the reading totally and i'm like oh my god i'm 
I'm feeling sore. Like I need to get up off of my super comfy couch and find a oh, new yeah. place to do this. Like, oh yeah, my legs are sore too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, just terrible. Okay, rooting for the week. Uh, the rooting was, uh, I think, we talk about what Portis is good a lot at, and you brought it up and, and with the cabin shooting, uh, but his his ability to, to manage pace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, describing the shootout with the six men on their horses and then afterward like you can you can see it in your head clear as day like this guy got shot this dude fell down this dude horse reared up it knocked him off they got chased down like this guy came back and you can just see it all in your brain without having to like reread it or be like wait where are we who is that guy and then you know adding in the line like it all happened faster than it took me to describe that to you like you didn't need it, but then you hear that and you're like, oh, that must have happened so fast. Right. Exactly. Like it happens fast as you read it. And then the, even that little punch was like, it was pretty fast. And you're like, you're goddamn right. It was. It, it I, totally felt like a redundancy, right? Reading yeah. that, you're like, yeah, it felt fast. Yeah. Like, I'm glad you're confirming that. Yeah. yeah. And not even like a, it, it's, it's a redundancy, but he's doing it to just be like, man, that was fast. Right. Like, it's just, guys got shot yeah. and killed. Yeah. Totally. It, 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 it was a redundancy that, almost felt like a knowing brag that was like wasn't that fast and you're like yeah that, right. was, that was crazy amount of pace. yeah I, I don't mean redundant in the way oh it no was yeah like unnecessary. yeah, no, no, yeah. No, yeah. Like it, yeah. It, it was it was it was like not like us trying to say it's pejoratively redundant yeah, it was just yeah. literally like emphasis totally yeah that was a good one I, I was just gonna say you know one of my students for the week was definitely just the action sequences because the rootins yeah because like i Portis just has so much in his bag that he can go get that when he decides to like put together a really crazy action scene, it's just like, oh, oh yeah, you can do this really well too. Mm-hmm. I, and so it's just cool when you're reading any book to see the author like flex every muscle that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was awesome. My rooting for the week is actually when Labeef stands up for Maddie coming yeah, along with them. That's great. Just because this was a question that we had earlier where it's like, all right, do we have father figures around here? And so it felt like a really huge win for me as the reader who wants Maddie involved and like wants to see her get what she wants to have that um, validation from the guy that originally was like most against her not going there. So exactly. And he he really didn't have to because, you know, if he felt like she shouldn't be there, he was going to be like, no, Maddie, fuck off. Like, totally. Yeah. You can't be on this trip. I know that you have, have been on this trip, but it's too dangerous. So the fact that he was like, look, <laughs> I think she's earned it. That means she's earned it to him. Totally. Totally agree. All right. Next time we're going to finish out the book. Um, so super excited for that. And then after that, we've got movies to watch. So stay tuned. We'll be coming at you with both of those shortly. Uh, Until then, this has been the Bibliotheques Podcast. We'll see y'all soon.